start making our way back to our seats. Start finding our ways back to our tables. We're going to be back in the Word of God this morning. John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. John 20, 24 through 31. Uh, my name is Ben. I'm the pastor here at Be Free. And we are a Christ-centered family that glorifies God by loving Him, by loving others, and by making disciples. That's who we are. Christ-centered family. That's what we do. We glorify God, and that's how we do it, by loving Him by loving others, and by making disciples. Man, you guys are easy today. (laughs) Yeah, so quiet. Well, welcome to Beefy. We're really glad you're here. We're in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31 today. We're going to dive right in. Because John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31, is about Thomas, the Apostle Thomas. And as Rob said just a minute ago, if you were going to connect one word with Thomas, what would it be? Doubting. Doubting. Poor Thomas. (laughs) I feel bad for Thomas. Uh, in John chapter 11, we looked at this actually twice in the last year alone, this passage. Uh, we saw Thomas and the disciples, they were with Jesus, when Jesus heard that Lazarus had just died. And when Jesus heard that Lazarus had just died, he, he wanted to go to Bethany to comfort his sisters. But the problem was that Bethany was a viper's den. Bethany was where people were who wanted to kill Jesus. So to go to Bethany was to walk right into a trap. And in John chapter 11, what we see is Thomas speaks up in front of all the disciples and he says to them, let us also go that we may die with him. What about bold Thomas? What about zealous, brave Thomas? What about courageous Thomas? But at the same time, the the name doubting is the name that stuck with Thomas. And it stuck with him because of what we see in this passage. And the fact that doubting is the word that stuck with Thomas for me has really served to bind my heart with Thomas. Because I feel what Thomas feels. Doubt has been a very present and a very real part of my walk with the Lord, both at the beginning, when I was figuring out if I believed this stuff, and then still, throughout my time with the Lord, and in a group this size, I can't help but believe that I'm not the only one here who's felt that way before. But there's a problem with that. How often do we talk about that? How often do we talk about doubt? We treat doubt like it's a four-letter word. We have a don't ask, don't tell policy when it comes to doubt. And that's kind of crazy. When we recognize that not only are there probably people around us who are struggling to believe with what what we believe, but we also, if we're honest with ourselves, will recognize that none of us have perfect faith. And so if we push doubt back up into the corners forcing people to deal with it on their own, that is the absolute worst thing that we could do with our doubts. Forcing people to deal with them on their own without the help of the body of Christ. What we need to do as a church is to help pull doubt out of the shadows. Not in order to celebrate it, but in order to wrestle with it together. Because I want to be absolutely clear when I say this. The church should be the safest place in the world where someone can wrestle with doubt. The the church should be the the safest place in the world where somebody can say to their brother, I don't know if I believe this stuff. It should be the safest place in the world for somebody to come to their brother or sister in Christ and say, I believe it, but I'm struggling to. I'm struggling to actually believe that God is good in this situation. I'm struggling to believe that God is actually in control, that he's actually listening to me. So today what I want to do is look at John chapter 20, verse 24 through 31. We're going to look at this picture of Thomas. We're going to use this passage to help pull doubt out of the shadows a little bit. 
to bring it to the light, but then also to bring our doubts to the one who is the light of the world. Let him shine into the darkness. So let me read this passage, John chapter 20, verse 24 through 31, and then I'll pray. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails, the place, sorry, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not believe, but believe. And Thomas answered, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. Amen. Be free, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you want relationship with all of us. We know that. Our sin separates us from relationship with you. We know that. But by faith in who you are and what you've done, you make atonement for our sins. In other words, you make payment for our sins. They are gone. We are cleansed. And we can be in relationship with you, Lord. We know that to be true. We believe that. But Father, sometimes it's hard to believe that because we have to recognize that what we are believing there is that a God became man. The one true God became man. What we're believing is that this man was born of a virgin, that this man lived perfectly without sin, that this man died and then rose again. All these things, though 100% true, are hard to believe. And so, Father, I pray that we would be a church where it is safe to doubt. We would be a church where it's safe to speak our doubts to one another. Not by celebrating our doubts, but by willing to actually bring them into the light so that we can walk through doubt together. So Father, I pray that looking at this passage today, you would show us a little bit more about doubt and help us be wise about how we go about walking through it. So Father, we give you this time. Surprise us by what you do this morning. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, Jesus showed up. He showed up with the disciples physically in a locked room. And the disciples saw and they believed. We saw that last week. But what we're realizing in this week, when we come to verse 24, is that they weren't all there. Look with me in verse 24 and 25. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he, that's Thomas, said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. He's speaking strongly. Because Thomas didn't see Jesus last week. He was somewhere else. He was running errands. He was getting his hair done. He was doing something. 
And the disciples, when he, they come back together, they bear witness to Thomas. Thomas, we have seen the Lord. He is risen. But for Thomas, his testimony wasn't enough. He needed to see it for himself if he was going to believe it. He says, unless I see his hands, uh, sorry, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, I will never believe. And not just see, he needed to touch it. He needed two senses to witness the resurrection of Jesus. So he says, if I do not place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Thomas would not take the disciples' word for it. He needed to see it and touch it if he was going to believe it. Now the thing is, this isn't the first time in the book of John where seeing and believing are connected. This is actually seen throughout the book of John, even Though it's not talked about a lot, we see it in the narrative. Because, after all, throughout the whole story, what is Jesus doing? He's doing miracles. He's doing miracles that are meant to be signs or signposts pointing towards who he was. So that when people saw these amazing works that he did, these miracles, they would see those things and they would serve as proof that he actually was who he said he was. So in other words, people would see his signs, see his miracles, and that would help them believe who he was, believe what he said and what he taught. So seeing and believing, they're not divided in the book of John at all. In fact, back in John chapter 2, we see Jesus do his first miracle, turning water into wine. And when his disciples saw that for the first time, that's when it says they believed. Seeing and believing are tied together in John in, in many ways. And so in this passage here, Thomas wants the same thing. He wants visible proof. Visible proof that he is truly alive. Because if he doesn't see it, if he doesn't touch it, he will never believe. And that's where things sat for a full week. Actually, more than a week. Thomas is not believing. The disciples are probably saying to him, No, really, trust me. He's alive. Believe us. And he says, No. I'm not going to believe until I see it with my own two eyes. But eight days later, verse 26, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. So again, like we saw last week, they were in a locked room, probably for fear of the Jews. Again, Jesus came. Again, Jesus stood among them. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. It's the exact same language that we saw last week. But this time, one thing was different, right? This time, Thomas was with them. And so, this time, Jesus turns his attention to speak directly to Thomas. This is what he says, verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see in my hand. Sorry, and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve. But believe. Now notice, Jesus came to offer Thomas exactly what Thomas asked for. Thomas said, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails, I will never believe. And so Jesus says, do it. Do it, Thomas. Put your finger here. Believe. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas said, unless I place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And so Jesus here says, do it. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And how does Thomas respond? Moving on quickly to verse 28. Thomas answers, my Lord and my God. John doesn't have to tell us that he believes. We see by his response that he believes. He recognized that Jesus was not a liar. 
That everything he said was true. That he was not dead. He was alive. And so he worships my Lord and my God. And now it doesn't even see that Thomas reaches out and touches him. It doesn't even seem from this passage that he actually took up Jesus' offer to put his fingers and his hands into his side. It seems that seeing was enough for him. So he sees and believes my Lord and my God. To which Jesus replies, verse 29... Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Now Jesus in his grace, he shows himself to Thomas. Thomas sees what he needs to see and he believes. Now when I read this passage, always, I always suspected that this was kind of a a rebuke against Thomas. Like, really, Thomas, you have to see to believe? Really? And while I don't think that this passage has... I think there is some sort of rebuke in this passage at the same time, I think there's something else going on here. I don't think that Thomas is being told that he has a second-rate faith because he has to trust in what his eyes see. Because after all, what have we seen this entire time? Mary only believes once she sees the risen Lord. John, Peter, they only believe once they see the empty tomb. The other ten disciples, they only believe once they see the risen Lord. So in fact, it seems that nobody is believing unless they see. How can we look down on Thomas for doubting until he sees when we should be looking down, maybe, if we should be looking down, on everyone until they see? Because in fact, I don't think that this is a second-rate faith that we're seeing here. Rather, I think what Jesus is doing is acknowledging something very important. What he's helping everyone see is that a day is coming very, very soon for them when Jesus would be able to be seen no longer. A day is coming when he was going to be gone, when he was going to rise back into heaven. When people would not be able to trust in what what their eyes saw, but only be able to trust in what their ears heard. That this is what was coming down the road. Jesus is acknowledging that the message of his resurrection is going to have to go forth not in, uh, sorry, only in speech, without the benefit of sight. In fact, even all the way back in John chapter 17, this is the high priestly prayer. Jesus is praying before the Father for the people who will believe in him and for his disciples. And in that passage, this is what he prays. John 17, 20. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. In that passage, Jesus is praying for people who are going to believe only through what their ears hear. This is what's coming down the road, and Jesus is acknowledging it, and he's acknowledging that that's a harder jump to make. That it's harder to believe what you don't see, but only what you hear. And if we want proof of that, we just have to look at Thomas. Thomas didn't believe until he saw it. It's easier to believe when you see it with your own two eyes. So here in this last verse of the story part of this passage, Jesus is speaking a blessing upon everyone who will believe only through the witness of their ears. What we might say is that in this passage, Jesus is speaking a blessing upon us. We don't have the benefit of sight. We don't have the benefit of seeing the risen Lord with our own two eyes. We don't have the benefit of having Jesus offer his side to us. And offer his hands to us as a visible proof that he is not dead, but alive. Rather, we have to rely upon the testimony 
of these eyewitnesses. And know who is one of the eyewitnesses? John. And so here in the last two verses, this eyewitness turns his attention to you. (laughs) He breaks the fourth wall. He looks directly at you and he says, because I know you are dependent upon eyewitnesses, let me be an eyewitness to you, reader. And this is what he said in the last two verses. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. For those of us who have not seen the risen Lord, and I'd venture to guess that is the vast majority of us, John breaks the fourth wall to tell us, trust me, I saw it. Trust me, Jesus is who he says he is. I saw him. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. Jesus has done everything that I have said he's done. In fact, what I've told you is just a fraction of everything he's done. He's done far more than what I've been able to fit inside this book. And John tells us that he has an explicit purpose for telling us all this. He's telling us all this so that we can believe that Jesus is the Lord. That we can believe that he died and that he rose. And that by believing in that, we can find life in his name. And so for thousands of people over thousands of years, the witness of John and the other eyewitnesses has been enough. That's been enough for people to understand the truth, the message that this is fact that Jesus is Lord, that he did die and rise again, and for them to put their belief in him, their faith, their trust in him, and find life. So really, for us, we have to ask ourselves first, do we believe? Do you believe? Is the witness of this eyewitness, or sorry, maybe we should say, is, does the, is the testimony of this eyewitness enough for you to believe? Because if it is, if you do, if you believe that Jesus is the Lord, the one who died on the cross for your sins, who died in your place, you will have life. That's why he's telling it to you. That's why he wrote this entire book to you. So that you can believe and have life. But now I think we have to take the next step here and just acknowledge that Thomas' story shows us something important here. If it shows us anything, what it shows us is that it isn't easy to believe. After all, like I prayed before, belief isn't, uh, we have to recognize what our belief is actually in. A man who is claiming to be God. A man who was born of a virgin. A man who lived a perfect life. A man who died and rose again. Things that, though they are 100% true, are hard to believe. Those are hard things to, to believe, to wrap your mind around, to think they're actually fact. So we shouldn't be surprised that doubt is a reality for people. We shouldn't be surprised that doubt is a reality for people who are in the church and outside of the church. In order for us to understand doubt, I think that we have to understand that different people doubt different things for different reasons in different ways. Doubt is more complex than just a yes or no. Different people doubt different things for different reasons in different ways. And while we might be able to break down different types of doubt into hundreds of different categories, I'm going to focus on just four right now. Four different kinds of doubt that people struggle with, both inside and outside the church. Or maybe I should say, the first three are for people who don't think Jesus is truly who he says he was. 
And then the last kind of doubt is for those of us who do. So I'm going to go through these four types of doubt and try to wrap your mind around it and try to ask yourself this question, do I struggle with any of these types of doubt? Because if you do, then I have a challenge for you at the end of each one. The first type of doubt, don't know, don't care. I don't know if there's a God, and I don't care if there's a God. And I think that this type of doubt might be true for many people for a little bit. But I kind of doubt that this type of doubt is common for many people permanently. Because when things hit our lives, these things we call storms, they hit our life. Maybe we lose a job, we lose a spouse. When a tragedy strikes, all of a sudden, we still might not know, but all of a sudden we start to care. All of a sudden it matters if there's a God up there in the clouds. All of a sudden it matters if there's something over the rainbow. All of a sudden it matters if we're going to see that person again. And sometimes these storms in life hit these people who have a don't know, don't care type of doubt. And some of them will start to care. And some of them will start to look. Others might care for a moment, but then move back to apathy and not continue to doubt. Or sorry, yeah, not continue to seek. So if you have a don't know, don't care type of faith and you're here today, I want to say as clearly as possible, you are welcome here. I want to say that this is the safest place in the world to vocalize any doubts that you have. We want to hear them. We want to talk to you about them. We would be thrilled if you came and talked to us about them. But this is my challenge for you. While it's okay to not know yet, it's not okay to not care. It's not okay just to close your eyes and to hope you're right. Because trust me, that's not a gamble you want to take. It's okay to not know yet, but to care enough, you have to care enough to seek, to care enough to search. You must care enough to weigh out the evidence for and against faith with a critical eye, and you must care enough to weigh out the evidence for and against your doubt in such a way that comes across with a critical eye. It's okay to not know yet, but you must honestly seek and pray in a community of people who will wrestle alongside you. I'm going to say that last one again. Honestly seek and pray in a community of people who will wrestle alongside you. So that's the first type of doubt. Don't know, don't care. Next one. Don't like, so don't believe. Don't know, don't care. Don't like, so don't believe. I don't like what I know about the God of Christianity, so I have decided I won't believe in him. I don't like what I think I know about the God of Christianity, so I have decided I will not believe in him. Because if I do, that will challenge everything about what I want. That will challenge everything about what I believe. And while it might be true that he's out there, I'd rather he not be. So I will not look because I'd rather not know. And this isn't so much actually a doubt as it is a plugging of your ears. You'd rather not know if there's a God out there because you like things your way and you don't want them to change. You don't want there to be a God out there because he's going to take away the shimmer of this world. And this world is pretty darn good. At the core of this type of doubt, I think we might say that it, it is doubt of God's goodness. This is a doubt that the lines that God draws are actually for your good. This is a doubt whether or not he's actually got your good in mind. And so if this is you, if you have this type of doubt, 
don't like, so don't believe, I want to say again, you are welcome here. These, this is the safest place in the world to wrestle with this type of doubt, this type of internal struggle. We want to hear what you're struggling with, and we want to walk through it with you. It is the best place in the world. But this is my challenge for you. It's okay to not yet know, but don't run from seeking out of fear of what you might find. It's okay to not yet know, but do yourself the courtesy of knowing truly what you're running from. Look closely and look honestly. Seek, seek, and seek. Find out whether or not believing actually means what you think it means. Because it's okay not to know, but again, you must honestly seek and pray in a community of people who will wrestle alongside you. You must honestly seek and pray in a community of people who will wrestle alongside you. Number one, don't know, don't care. Number two, don't like, so don't believe. Number three, don't know, but want to. I don't know if there's a God, but I'd like to know. I so desperately want to know. And this type of doubt is the type of doubt that every single person who does believe has walked through at some point in the past. And maybe this has been a really short season for some people. Maybe they hear and they immediately grasp their heart, the gospel does, and they are compelled to believe. But for others, this takes years to sink in. I have people in my own family who it took minutes and another who it took years to sink in. Some people need arguments. They need facts. They need to wrestle. And this is good. It's okay not to know yet, but it's not okay to not seek. And so this is my challenge for you. If you are a don't know but want to, welcome. This is the best place you can possibly be. Talk to people about your doubts. Let us wrestle together with you. But this is my challenge for you. Though this can be exhausting, keep going. Though this can be hard, keep seeking. Though the journey can be long, it doesn't have to be lonely. Talk with people. Wrestle with people, ask questions, seek answers. It's okay to not know yet, but here we are again. You must honestly seek and pray in a community of people who will wrestle alongside you. Bringing these first three together. Whether you don't know, don't care, don't like, so don't believe, don't know, but want to, my challenge for you is the same. Honestly, seek and pray in a community of people who will wrestle alongside you. Be open with others about your doubt. Ask questions that are holding you back. Seek high and low for answers. Seek, 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 and let them seek with you. But I want to say this. If you're waiting for the day when you have no questions left, you will never come. There must be a day when you look at the evidence for and against faith, when sooner or later you'll have to make a decision of which one is true. Which one will you believe in? And on the day that you decide that Jesus is truly who he says he is, that he is risen, that he is alive, that he is reigning, come to him. He is waiting. Come to him. He will receive you imperfect faith and all. Because none of us have perfect faith. None of us have a perfect, unshakable faith. And I think it's because of that that I want to turn to the fourth type of doubt here. And this is the type of doubt that we all struggle with inside the church. Number one, don't know, don't care. Number two, don't like, so don't believe. Number three, don't believe, but want to. Number four, I believe, but. 
I believe, but. Because doubt is a reality for even the most sincere believers. And while even the most sincere believers might not uh, no longer uh, doubt questions like the existence of God or the identity of Christ or these type things, we still doubt other things. In the case of crises, we doubt things like, is God really sovereign over all this? Is he really in control? When God's word doesn't clearly say something, or actually when it does say something that we don't want it to say, we start to doubt, does God really know what's best for us? When we lose someone we love, we might doubt, is God really good? In these moments when we struggle to believe God or to uh, trust God in some certain way, this is us struggling with doubt. So believer, when you find yourself wrestling with an I believe but type of doubt, my challenge for you is the same challenge that I gave to everyone else with their doubts. You must honestly seek and pray in a community of people who will wrestle alongside you. When your kid is breaking your heart, when your health is falling apart, when you lose your job, when you can't pay your bills, when you're riddled with shame, when you're lonely at night, when you're depressed and you don't know why, when you're anxious and scared and doubt about God is starting to creep into your heart, do not push it away into the shadows. But turn to your brother and sister in Christ and speak your doubts to them. Is God really good? Does he really care about me at all? Is he actually in control of all this? Is he able to do anything? Is he even listening to me? Speak these doubts to people. Get your doubts out of the shadows. Bring them to your brother and sister in Christ. And when this happens, when your doubts are brought to someone else, or when somebody brings their doubts to you, your job is to help bring these doubts out of the shadows and bring them to the light. Bring them to the light of the world. Bring them to the one who can shine light into the darkness. Bring them to the one who is in control over all things. Bring them to the foot of the cross and let Jesus Christ help you. Tell him, I believe, Jesus. Help me with my unbelief. I believe, help me with my doubts. Jesus, I submit to you. Take my doubts away and help me wrestle with them. But I think there is one more thing that we need to see from this passage before we wrestle with doubt at all. And it's this. is that Jesus came to the disciples. Why exactly? This time. Why did Jesus come to the disciples in John chapter 20, verse 24 through 31? He came for one reason. He came for Thomas. In this passage, Jesus came for Thomas. Jesus came because he wanted Thomas to believe. He came because he wanted to show Thomas his wounds. He wanted to invite Thomas to touch them. Jesus came to prove to Thomas that he was actually alive. Jesus came to beg Thomas, say, Thomas, do not disbelieve, but believe. Jesus came again specifically for Thomas because he loved Thomas. Jesus came again because he wanted a relationship with Thomas. Therefore, he pursued Thomas. He pursued Thomas and sought out Thomas. And this is not something that Jesus does only for Thomas. This is something that Jesus does for us. What this shows us and what this reminds us is that Jesus pursues his sheep. That even if you are doubting with a don't know, don't care 
type of doubt, don't like so don't believe type of doubt, don't know but want to type of doubt, or even a I believe but type of doubt. Seek him. Seek him. Seek him. But do not forget that even as you seek, the hound of heaven is pursuing you. Jesus is seeking you even as you seek him. He is on your scent and he will find you. The cure for doubt isn't something that you have to muster yourself. Bring your doubts to the body of Christ, the church, and together bring your doubts to the light of the world. He will seek you and he will find you. Will you pray with me?